Thank you for being here, and I certainly, as I said, am looking forward to the day when I get to see my Savior face to face. And as that song says, it will be worth it all when we see Christ. Amen. Second Samuel chapter 15. And we are going to start in verse number 1. 2 Samuel 15 and verse number 1. I was mentioning to Brother Bob. I was saying, I was like, man, it felt you know a little bit warm up there during Sunday school on the platform when he came up. And he's like, oh, there's a thermometer. And he came up and he showed me it. And so it was like 74 degrees. And I was like, well, is that, you know, the actual temperature up here? Is that just all the hot air that the preacher's, you know, blowing across <laughs> and stuff as he's preaching? But so you can be the judge of that. But Second Samuel 15 and verse number 1, the Bible says this, And it came to pass after this, that Absalom prepared him chariots and horses and fifty men to run before him. And Absalom rose up early and stood beside the way of the gate. And it was so that when any man that had a controversy came to the king for judgment, then Absalom called unto him and said, Of what city art thou? And he said, Thy servant is of one of the tribes of Israel. And Absalom said unto him, See, thy matters are good and right, but there is no man deputed of the king to hear thee. Absalom said, Moreover, Oh, that I were made judge in the land, that every man which hath any suit or cause might come unto me, and I would do him justice. And it was so that when any man came nigh to him to do him obeisance, that he put forth his hand and took him and kissed him. And on this manner did Absalom to all Israel that came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And it came to pass after forty years that Absalom said unto the king, I pray thee, let me go and pay my vow, which I have vowed unto the Lord in Hebron. For thy servant vowed a vow while I abode at Geshur in Syria, saying, If the Lord shall bring me again indeed to Jerusalem, then I will serve the Lord. And the king said unto him, Go in peace. So he arose and went to Hebron. But Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as ye hear the sound of the trumpet, then ye shall say, Absalom reigneth in Hebron. And when Absalom went, two hundred men out of Jerusalem that were called, and they went in their simplicity, and they knew not anything. And Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the Gilonite, David's counselor from his city, even from Gilo, while he offered sacrifices. And the conspiracy was strong, for the people increased continually with Absalom. And there came a messenger to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are after Absalom. And David said to all his servants and to them that were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, for we shall not else escape from Absalom. Make speed to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly, and bring evil upon us, and smite the city." with the edge of the sword. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you for this opportunity to be at church. Thank you, Lord, for these faithful people out here on a Sunday morning. And God, we thank you for your goodness today. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we have a reason to meet here, that we serve the true and living God. And Lord, we thank you this morning for the blood of Jesus Christ. And I'm thankful, Lord, for that blood that cleanses us, that makes us clean, that makes us whole, that we're brought nigh uh, by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, And God, even though we mess up and fail, even though I mess up and fail, that Lord, as I said this morning, if we're faithful to confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so, God, I'm doing that right now and asking, Father, that, Lord, you would please cleanse me in the blood of Christ and, and God, that you would empty me of, of sin, self, and pride. That, Lord, you would fill me with, with what I need to preach your word this morning. Lord, fill me with, with your wisdom. Fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your power. God, fill me with the love to, to preach this message in the right way. And, Lord, I, I just, I'm nothing in and of myself. And God, I could have the best outline, I could articulate my words in the best way and do all those fancy things, but Lord, if I get up this morning and just say some words and preach without your power, Lord, it's not going to mean a single thing. But God, if you'd get me out of the way this morning, and if these people would not hear from Aaron Riddle, but they would hear a word from the Lord God, that's what's going to make a difference. And Lord, I'm thankful for this church. I'm thankful for these faithful people that are here, especially uh, with just the, the difficulties going on with, with their pastor and, and, and Lord, all the struggles that go along with that. But Lord, they're here this morning. And God, I don't know what each one needs. I don't have a list of what to preach on and what's going to help or convict. But Lord, I'm thankful for your Holy Spirit that does know what these people need. And so, Father, would you please give me the words to say that beyond myself and, and without me, God, you would do the work this morning to help, to convict, to challenge, to do whatever these people need, Lord, from you this morning. 
God, if one here say not saved this morning, I pray you'd convict them of their need for a Savior. They trust Christ as, as your personal Lord and Savior. If one's maybe far off from the Lord and distant, that, Lord, you draw them nigh to you. Lord, maybe if there's one here that's just a little bit discouraged or downhearted, that, God, you'd encourage them through the message. And, Lord, whether you speak to them through the point of this message or maybe it's just a passing verse or a passing remark, I, I don't know, God. But I'm thankful I don't have to know. And, Lord, I just need to rely on your power. And so, God, I, I believe I've done what I need to do in preparation and in prayer and in study and, and trying to ready myself. But, God, once again, I'd be a fool if I, if I could think I could just get up here and, and do it in my own power. So, God, I'm asking for your help. I'm asking for your strength. I'm asking for you to do what I cannot do, that Jesus Christ would be high and lifted up, that he would draw all men to himself, and that, Lord, you'd receive the glory and praise and honor because of it. So, Father, we love you. We thank you. I I pray you'd help me to preach as a dying man to dying men this morning, and I'll be sure to give you the praise and glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Over in Proverbs chapter 23 and verse number 26, Solomon speaking to his son, which I believe is also a picture of the Lord speaking to us, But he says, my son, give me thine heart. And over in Matthew chapter 25, verses 35 through 38, when the the man comes to Jesus and says, what is the greatest commandment? Or if there's one thing that we can do to please God, to be honoring to you, like what would be the one thing that we need to do? And Jesus said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and all thy mind and with all thy strength. And I just want to start off by saying this morning that when I look in Scripture, I see that God puts a great emphasis on your love. And that God does really care what is first place in your life. And God does really care what you love and what you desire and what your heart is after in your life. And I believe the reason being is, is because what you love has an effect on your life. Make no mistake about it, if something is dear to you, if something is important to you, if, it, if you love it, it's, it's going to have an effect on your life. Uh, just as a personal example, I'm a, I'm a big hockey fan, all right? And I, I really like the St. Louis Blues. And so I, I love watching the games. I've been to a couple games. I also love playing hockey and stuff like that. But because I love the Blues, you know what it does? It impacts how I live my life. Meaning in my car right now, I have a St. Louis Blues hat, right? I show support for the team that I love. Uh, you know, I watch the games. I, I take, you know, whatever, an hour, two hours, if I have time and stuff like that. And some people be like, you're just wasting your time watching a bunch of people chase a little puck around ice. But I love hockey. I love watching. You know what I do? It affects how I spend my time. Back when I lived back east, uh, uh, you know, the, the Stanley Cup playoffs would come along the best time of the year. And, of course, the Blues were kind of a Western Coast team. They'd always play the late-night games. And so there were nights where, you know, they would not start playing till 10, 30, 11 o'clock. And I had to wake up early the next morning, and I had to go to work. And I'm like, man, if I stay up, I'm going to be really tired in the morning. But it was the playoffs, right? Like, it was, I don't know how many of you are a sports fan, but if you're a sports fan, the playoffs are important. And you know what I would do? I was willing to sacrifice sleep, which I also love. Amen. I mean, if you don't like sports, you can probably at least say amen to love and, love and sleep. But I would sacrifice sleep, why? To watch, to, to stay up and, and watch a team that I love to watch and I love to support. And I'm just trying to get across that, that what you love is going to affect your life. And I don't know what you love this morning. I don't know what your hobbies are. I don't know what your interests are. I don't know what's most important to you. I don't know what has first place in your life. But I can guarantee that what you love has an effect. If you love to hunt, you're going to hunt. If you love to fish, you're going to fish. If you love to shop, you're going to shop. If you love to read, you're going to read. If you love a certain TV show, you're going to watch that TV show. If you love, hey, if you love uh, love the Lord and love church, you're going to be here at church. You're going to read. Your... It affects your life. And kind of an example of that, uh, keep your spot here in 1 Samuel 15, but go to 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3, just trying to lay a groundwork this morning of, of the importance of what you love and how it affects your life. 1 Kings chapter 3. <clears throat> In verse number 3, Bible here speaking of Solomon, 1 Kings 3, 3, the Bible says, And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father, only he sacrificed and burned incest in high places. And so the beginning of, of the reign of this young man, Solomon, and what's it say? He loved the Lord. Amen. God was important to him. God had first in his life. God is like, man, I, I love him. I'm going after the Lord. And what was the effect of that? 
he walked after the statutes of David, his father, because his father David loved the Lord. And so he lived for God, he pleased God, and because Solomon loved the Lord, guess what? He did the same thing, and he served the Lord. But go over to 1 Kings chapter 11. 1 Kings chapter 11. 1 Kings chapter 11. And in verse number 1, the Bible says this, But King Solomon loved many strange women, together with the daughter of Pharaoh, woman of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites, of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, You shall not go into them, neither shall they come in unto you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto these in love. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Zidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and went not fully after the Lord as did David his father. And so what do we see here? That same person. Right? That same man that it said loved the Lord, that went after the statutes of David his father, that did right, that lived right, that was pleasing to the Lord, that, hey, when God came to him and said, hey, I'll give you anything you want, just simply name it, he said, you know what, Lord, I'm king of this great people, and I'm just as a little child, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, how I'm supposed to, I need wisdom. And God says, hey, that's a wise answer. So I'm not going to give you that, but I'm going to give you riches, and I'm going to give you glory. All those types, this same man, we go a couple chapters down the road, And what's it say? But Solomon, what? Loved many strange women. And where one point it said he loved the Lord, well, now all of a sudden, something else has come along and taken that love. And did you see the effect of what his love for the wrong thing and his love for something more than God had in his life? Well, all of a sudden, those strange women that he loved turned his heart away from the Lord. It says that twice in that passage. And all of a sudden, this man that was living for God and doing right and pleasing to the Lord and a great king, in verse number 6, it says, And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord. What happened? How could a king that was so great and so serving the Lord... Because his love changed. Because the focus of his love changed. And what you love is going to have an effect on your life. And that's why God said, hey, the most important thing you can do is to love me with everything inside you. Why? Because if you love the Lord, God's going to be the most important to you. And your life is going to be surrounded by the things of God. And it's not going to be, well, I just read my Bible because I have to. It's going to be, no, because I love God and want to walk with Him. And I don't just pray because this is what the pastor said, I need to pray and do my duty. No, because I want to talk to God because I love Him. And not just, well, it's Sunday morning, so i got to drag my kids out of bed, and i got to drag myself out of bed, and i got to go to church because this is my thing, and oh, it's Sunday night or Wednesday. No, it's like, man, I love God, so I get to be at church. I get to spend time with the Lord. But what happens with many Christians? What happens with me and with you? Well, all of a sudden, something else comes along in our life, and we start to love it a little bit more than the Lord. Not that we don't love God, but something else takes precedent over our love for the Lord. All of a sudden, while reading the Bible is not as important, and praying is not as important, And going to church isn't as important. And pleasing God isn't as important. Why? Because what has our love? And going back to 2 Samuel chapter 15, we see here that Absalom wanted to take over the kingdom from David. And not only did he want to take the kingdom over from David, but he succeeded in taking the kingdom over from David. In 2 Samuel uh, 15 and verse number 13, it says, And there came a messenger to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are after Absalom. And David said to all his servants that were with him at Jerusalem, Arise, let us flee, for we shall not else escape from Absalom. Make speed to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly and bring evil upon us and smite the city with the edge of the sword. That's a pretty big feat. To take the kingdom from David. And it wasn't just like, I want to do it, but he actually did it. Where David said, hey, we got to flee, we got to run away, because if we don't, he's going to kill us. And how could Absalom, a question I asked myself, 
is how could Absalom take the kingdom from such a great king? In my opinion, David was probably the greatest king in the history of Israel. I know Solomon had the riches and salt, but I mean, David won the battles, David fought, David had a... He was a great king. Israel succeeded under David. Israel was in a good spot under David. He loved the people. God blessed him and God used him. So how could these people turn their back on David? How could these people look at someone else and be like, well, you know what? I mean, David slew Goliath. David wrought all this victory over the Philistines. David did such a great thing. But we're going to follow this guy now instead of that. How could that happen? You know how it happened? Because Absalom stole their hearts. And Absalom stole their love. In verse number 6 of 2 Samuel 15, the Bible says, And on this manner did Absalom to all Israel that came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And in verse number 13, it says, And there came a messenger to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are after Absalom. How could Absalom perform such a pretty much incredible thing and and take the kingdom from such a great king? By stealing the people's loves. Love. To the point where they loved Absalom more than David. And I don't even know if it was necessarily a point that they hated David. Like they weren't like revolting like by themselves. They weren't like dissing that. But there came a time, right, where they were fine with serving under David until the time came when Absalom said, hey, blow the trumpet and say, Absalom reigneth. And there was a decision that needed to be made of, are we going to serve David or are we going to serve Absalom? And all of a sudden, because Absalom had stolen their hearts, well, when push came to shove, we're going to follow Absalom to the point where Absalom could kick David out and say, hey, I'm the king now. And you know what? Can I say this morning that the devil has done the same thing to many Christians? I look at some people I know. I, I was saved at a young age, at six. I've grown up in church. My dad's a pastor. I'm, I'm 28 now. I've been in the ministry for eight, nine years. And you look at people, and sometimes even in my own life. And I mean, we serve the greatest king that could ever be served. Amen goes right there. Right? A God that loved us so much he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins, a God that offers salvation freely, a God that doesn't force us to do terrible or horrible things to ourselves. I mean, he blesses, he takes care, he provides. I can think of times in my life where God's been good to me. I'm sure God can, you can think of times in your life where God's been good to you. I mean, he's a great king to serve. But yet, you know what I've seen countless times? People that grow up in church and they're saved and they're living for God at one point and they're serving this king. They're living for this king. But all of a sudden, a point comes in their life and they turn their back on this king and start serving something different. And how does that happen? I mean, how could how could they look at serving God and living for the Lord and the blessing and be like, nope, I don't want that. I want to live for the world instead. You know why and how? Because the devil stole in their heart. And it's not something where like, oh, they love the devil more than they love God. And it's not even something I don't think where it's like they don't care about God at all. But the devil has put something in their life to say, hey, you don't have to love me, right? You don't have to put all your, but just put it on this more than God. Right? Your, 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 your job, your, your sports, right? Your hobby, your, your thing you want to do, this relationship, this person, this one. I don't care what it is. But just start to love that more than you love the Lord. Start to desire that more than you desire pleasing the Lord. Start having a focus on living for that more than a focus on living for the Lord. And you know what? They can come to church. They can sit under the preaching. And they can do some stuff and be involved in stuff. And then that was fine with that. Because just like Absalom, it didn't happen just like that. Right? This wasn't just a one-day thing. It was time and time and time where he was fine with waiting. And the devil is fine with waiting. As long as he knows your heart is continually going more towards that thing, and there's going to come a time where the devil is going to throw something in your, in your face, in your path, 
And you're going to have to make the choice of do I serve God and do I follow God and do I live for God or do I follow this thing? Do I follow this dream? Do I follow this desire? Do I follow this person? Do I, whatever it is, this path. And you've got to make a choice between God or that because no man can serve two masters. For he'll love the one and hate the other, will cleave to the one and will despise the other. And if you've been following along with the devil's little love that, then when that choice comes, you know what you're going to do? You're going to follow what you love. And man, I, I've had brothers that have served in the ministry, that have preached in churches. I've got a best friend that preached, that served the Lord, that did a bunch of great stuff for God. I've seen people in youth groups and people in, and time and time and time and time and time again. And you say, how does it happen? Because they started loving something more than they, they love God. And the devil wants the same for you, Christian. And hey, you can be on fire for God right now. I don't know where you're at. I don't know if you're close with the Lord, far away from the Lord, whatever. But the Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 8, that the devil walketh about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That hey, he's looking at God's word, Baptist church. And he sees people that love God, that want to serve the Lord, that maybe trying to be faithful or trying to do what's right. And the devil's no idiot. The devil's no fool. The devil's not just going to show up with a pitchfork in his ears and the tail and be like, hey, do this terrible thing. Yeah. Right? I know we, but that's what we almost expect. Because he throws these things in our path. And we're like, oh, well, that doesn't seem too bad. Well, man, I, that seemed really nice. Like, I'd really enjoy if I could have that or do that or love, whatever it is. And he wants to take your love. Because he knows if he can get you to love something else more than you love God, then he knows he can get you. And so what do you love this morning? And the title of the message this morning is Absalom Wants Your Heart. Absalom Wants Your Heart. And I'm going to look this morning at three ways of how Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. How Absalom stole their hearts. Can I say number one this morning, how Absalom stole their hearts, is that he impressed them. He impressed them. In verse number 1 of 2 Samuel 15, it says, And it came to pass after this that Absalom prepared him chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. And in verse number 4, when these people come and say, Oh, I need to talk to the king. He says, There's no man to hear thee. In verse number 4, it says, And Absalom said moreover, Oh, that I were made judge in the land, that every man which hath any suit or cause might come unto me, and I would do him justice. Absalom tried to get the men of Israel to think that he was special and worth it to follow. Right? These men that he had run before him in the church. He's putting on a show, right? I mean, back at that time, it was almost, I mean, I don't know if it's the same thing, but like if you saw like a really fancy Corvette or like vehicle drive, you're like, oh, that's pretty nice. Right? Oh, that person must have some money. That person might have some stats because look at the vehicle they're driving. Well, back then you have some men running in front of you and they knew he was the king's son. And these chariots and these horses, like, man, this, this guy looks like he's somebody. Like, man, look, I mean, and, and there's people, I mean, and you know how people are, right? I mean, if, if, if there's a big deal, people want to be involved in what the big deal is. So, man, like, yeah, look at this guy, Absalom. And then all of a sudden, I can't see the king, but Absalom's saying that, man, you know, if I was king, he'd listen to what I have to say, and he'd be there for me, and he'd be a great... And what was he doing? Trying to impress him. Trying to make him think that he was something special, and that man, he'd be worth it to follow, even to the point where he'd be better than following David, because look at his procession, look at how he'd be there, all that kind of stuff. And can I say this morning, Christian, that the devil wants to grab your attention. Just like Absalom wanted to grab the attention of the men of Israel, the devil wants to grab your attention. If you go to 1 John, keep your spot here, 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. First John chapter 2 and verse number 15. The Bible says this, First John 2, 15. The Bible says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. It says in there about the lust 
of the eyes and the lust of the flesh. And you know what, Christian? You know what you and I both have? A lust of the eyes and a lust of the flesh. We have certain weaknesses. And I don't know what your weaknesses are, and I don't need to know what your weaknesses are, but I know what my weaknesses are. But you know who also knows what your weaknesses are? The devil. And he knows better than anyone else how to throw things in your path to try to get your attention about your weaknesses. How to say, well, hey, look at this. Well, hey, think about this. Well, hey, watch this or listen to this or do this or whatever. And what's he doing? Trying to get your attention on that. Trying to get you to focus on that and think of how special it is and how great it would be if you could do that or listen to it or have it or whatever it is. He's trying to impress you. And you know what he's been doing ever since the beginning of mankind? Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. If you have a Bible, you can follow along. I'll try to read some of these quickly. But Genesis chapter 3. I try to use a good bit of scripture in my preaching because the Bible has better things to say than I do. Amen. Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 6, the temptation of Eve, where she said, hey, you know, shall I not eat the tree and all that kind of stuff? And verse number 6, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave unto her husband with her and he did eat. Right? The devil is saying, hey, look at this tree. Man, think about this tree. Right? I mean, I know God said some stuff, but didn't he really mean it? And are you really going to die? And really, God just knows that if you take it, you're going to be like him. Like, it's really special, and your life would be a whole lot better if you did it. Yeah, how'd that work out? And what happened? What's the verse say? And Eve saw that the tree was be desired. Hey, and then started to meditate a little bit on that, hey, it's a tree to be desired. And to make one wise. And it's pleasant to my eyes. And all of a sudden, it didn't just have the look. It didn't just stay with the look. And then just stay with the thinking about how good it was. All of a sudden, it was, well, let me take it. And let me partake of it. Because that's what the devil wants. He wants you to look at it. And then he wants you to think about it. And then he wants you to take of it. If you go over to... 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11. Talking about David. 2 Samuel chapter 11 and verse number 1. 2 Samuel chapter 11 and verse number 1. The Bible says, And it came to pass after the year was expired at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David, excuse me, tarried still at Jerusalem. And it came to pass at an evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her, and she came into him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house. David committing adultery and committing sin. And first off, it kind of starts as when the time when kings go forth to battle, right? He should have been out in battle. He should have been doing what he was supposed to be doing. I don't know what Bathsheba was doing bathing on the top of a housetop, right? So there's several things. But what happened? A look. And look, the devil knows how to get us. And so the devil throwing in something in front of us is not always sin, right? Because we can't always handle what we see or what we hear or those type of stuff. It's not your fault if you're driving down the road and there's a billboard planted up there and you have to be like, whoa, or you're doing something and an ad comes up or you're listening to something and something comes. That's not always our fault. But what happens is then just say there was a look or he saw her. It says then he inquired after her. And that's where the sin starts to come in. Not that the devil knows our weaknesses, not that the devil throws something in front of us to try to... It's when we start meditating upon it and start thinking about it and start inquiring after it and dwelling upon it and all those types of things. Because you know what oftentimes that leads to then? Then he took her 
and then he performed the sin actually physically. But once again, what happened? There was a look. There was something to impress. Very beautiful to look upon. Something to make you think, I want this. And it goes downhill from there. And can I tell you, Christian, watch out for the snares of the devil. Watch out for the things that the devil does to throw in your path to try to get you to inquire and think and dwell upon and then actually do the sin. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And verse number 25, 2 Timothy 2.25, the Bible says, In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. That's the devil's end game. Right? His snare is not just because he wants you to have some fun or some enjoyment or have a good... No, he wants you to be captive at his will. He wants to mess your life up. He wants to ruin your relationships. He wants to ruin your purity. He wants to ruin your desire to live for God and your joy and your happiness. And he wants you to be captive by it. And I've met and I know Christians that are captive by some things. And yeah, there's some times like, man, I want to get... You know, I don't want to do this. I don't know why. But they're bound by it. Because that's what a snare does. If you go over to Proverbs chapter 6, Proverbs chapter 6, once again, keep your fingers ready, just going different places. Proverbs chapter 6, and verse number 20, the Bible says this, it says, My son, keep thy father's commandment and forsake not the law of thy mother. Bind them continually upon thine heart and tie them about thy neck. When thou goest, it shall lead thee. When thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. And when thou awakest, it shall talk with thee. For the commandment is a lamp and the law is light and reproofs of instruction are the way of life to keep thee from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman. Lust not after her beauty in thine heart, neither let her take thee with her eyelids. For by means of a whorish woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread and the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. And so uh, Solomon here, once again, writing to his son, he's talking about a physical thing here, about watch out for the strange and the adulterous woman. You know what he says? Take our commandments to heart. Right? Pay attention to what we're telling you. Why? Because this adulterous, this strange woman is not good. It will mess your life up. It will ruin you. But you know what? There's going to be some flattery. There's going to be the, 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 the eyelids and her beauty. Don't let those snares get you. Don't fall into what the devil uses to try to attract you into that. And once again, I believe this is a picture of the Lord talking to us and that strange woman is a picture of the world. It's a picture of sin. And you know what you need to do? Like we were talking this morning, get in your Bible, know what the Bible has to say, uh, get the book inside of you. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. Why? So when the devil comes along and he has these snares and he has these things that look good and seem like it'd be so much fun to be a part of and to do... You can say, well, wait a minute, but the Bible says this. And you can see past it. Because a snare is a trap. A snare, once again, is not something that puts itself in your face and says, hey, if you do this, it's going to ruin your life. It makes it look good. Makes it seem like it'd be fine. You put bait out for an animal. Right? Once again, you don't just like put a big cage out and expect the animal just to walk in it. No, you put some food, you put something that's appetizing. And that's what the devil does. That's why he says, hey, pay attention to the commandment. Keep it with you to be on guard against it. And we need to understand the end result of Satan's snares. One chapter over, Proverbs 7 and verse number 22. Proverbs 7, verse number 22, once again, talking about the strange woman, which I also believe is a picture of the world and sin. Verse 7, 22, he goeth after her straightway as an ox goeth to the slaughter. This is that young man that is taken in by the strange woman at her house. He goeth after her straightway as an ox goeth to the slaughter, or as a fool to the correction of the stalks, till a dart strike through his liver, as a bird hasteth to the snare and knoweth not that it is for his life. Hearken unto me now, therefore, O ye children, and attend to the words of my mouth. Let not thine heart decline to her ways. Go not astray to her past, for she hath cast down many wounded. Yea, many strong men have been slain by her. Her house is the way to hell, going down to the chambers of death. And he says, yeah, I know it looks appetizing. I know it looks appealing. I know it's something your flesh wants. But watch out. Be careful, because it's going to destroy you. And you need to understand the devil's not on your side. 
The devil is not out looking for your best interests. The devil is not trying to let you have a happy, joyful, good life. He wants to ruin you. And so we need to look past those things. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. And yes, that's a kind of, of salvation and our, our sin causes us to uh, eternity in hell because of God's judgment for our sin. But the gift of God is eternal life. Praise the Lord for that. But once we get saved, you can't lose your salvation. You can't go to hell. And the devil knows that. So you know what he wants then? He wants to destroy your life. He wants to make this life on earth as close to that as he can make it. And the way, the result of sin is, is bad things, is death. James 1.15, Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. It's not good. I don't care who you are. I don't care what your talents or abilities or how smart you are or how cool you think you are or how good you think you are or if you can beat this. You're not going to change what the Bible says. You're not going to do something against what God says and expect everything to go out well. And we need to realize that. And we need to understand when the devil tries to impress us and throw out these things and say, do. well, yeah, but the Bible says the end result of that's death. And not just that, but I've seen people, not just the Bible, but people do those things and how it's ruined their life. And I'm sure many of you have as well. And so you know what? We need to guard our mind. We need to guard our minds. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Second Corinthians 10 and verse number 3. The Bible says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought into the obedience of Christ. You know, we need to learn to do cast down those things, not dwell on, not think on. And I know it's not easy. And then the devil repeatedly, I mean, and I don't know if it's because it's measured, but like this past week, the devil has really been on my case about a certain thing and really like repeatedly thrown things in front of my face. And I have a choice there. I can dwell on it and I can think on it and I can, or I can cast it down. And I can think of some scripture that says, nope, the Bible says this and I need to stay away from that. And the Bible says the result and you cast it down. That's what we need to do, Christians. Because Absalom wants to impress you. Absalom wants you to think that it'd be better serving him than it would be serving God. And so moving on quickly, how Absalom stole their hearts, number one, he impressed them. But number two, he stopped them from getting to the king. He stopped them from getting to the king. Second Samuel 15 and verse number two, it says, And Absalom rose up early and stood beside the way of the gate. And it was so that when any man that had a controversy came to the king for judgment, then Absalom called unto him and said, Of what city art thou? And he said, Thy servant is of one of the tribes of Israel. And Absalom said unto him, See, thy matters are good and right, but there is no man deputed of the king to hear thee. And so these people had problems in the kingdom, right? And they were supposed to come to the king to say, hey, can you help me? Can you do that? Whatever it was. So what Absalom decided to do? Well, I'm going to stand outside the gate. And when these people come looking for the king, I'm going to tell them, nah, he's too busy. He can't talk to you. You know, there's, there's no way of seeing him. Stopping them from getting to talk and fellowship and be with the king. And no, can I say, Christian, this morning, Bible reading, prayer, and church are all about being with the king. I don't read my Bible this morning and hope you don't read your Bible or pray or just be here in church just because it's just what we do as Christians. I hope you do it because you want to spend time with God. Because you want to fellowship with the king. Hey, when I read my Bible, guess what? It's the king talking to me. It's him speaking to me. Hey, when I pray, you know what it is? I get to speak to the king. I get to talk to the king. Hey, when I come to church, hey, I pray, Lord, I pray your spirit would be here, not in a weird whatever way, but just like, God, I want you, I, I want to hear from the king. I want to worship the king. I want to praise the king. I want to lift up the king. It's about being with the king. And that's why we stress it so much. Not a religious duty, not just do it because I, but spend time with the king, with the God of all eternity. Like, you can fellowship with him. It's great. You can be his friend. And you know what? You have a stronger relationship 
and trust in someone that you spend time with. Hey, your pastor's a great guy. I got to meet him and talk with him a couple of times. But I have a lot stronger relationship and a lot more trust in my pastor than I do in your pastor. And that's not anything against your pastor. But you know, I have spent time with my pastor. I've done things with my pastor. I've fellowship with my pastor. I've seen his heart. I've seen how he treats me. I've seen how he cares for me. And, what? and so my relationship is stronger with him. And you know, it's the same with the Lord. You don't ever spend time with God. Don't expect to have a strong relationship with him. Right? If you never talk to someone, or you're not going to be close to that person. And so why would it be any different from the Lord? You never spend time with him speaking to you. You never spend time talking to him. You never time spend time at church hearing him speak to your voice or pray. Don't expect to be close to him. Because, once again, you have a stronger relationship and trust in someone that you spend time with. And we also get our strength by spending time with God. Over in John, go to John chapter 15. The importance of being with the king. John chapter 15. John chapter 15. And verse number 3. The Bible says this. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. So what Jesus tells us to do, abide in him. And I believe that's by fellowshipping with him. That's by walking with him. That's having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Why? Because if you abide in me and I... The same brings forth much fruit. Stuff gets accomplished for the cause of Jesus Christ. And without me, ye can do nothing. Once again, as I pray, if I get up here and I'm not abiding with the Lord and I'm not walking with God, I'm, I can have the best outline, I can have all that type of fancy stuff, which I don't. But even if it wouldn't mean anything. Because without Him, I can do nothing. Teach a Sunday school class, try to be a witness, try to live the Christian life. Don't expect to be a type of Christian that God's pleased with, that you're doing, you know, that uh, perfect, thoroughly furnished into all good works that we talked about this morning. If you're not fellowshipping with the Lord, and that's not any slight on anyone, that's for all of us because we can't do it by ourselves. And we need God's help to do it. Do you know what we need to do? We need to fellowship with Him. We need to spend time with the King. Over in John 6, 63, the Bible says, Jesus said, these words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. But this word is Christian. It's our life. Spiritually, it's our life. It's what sustains us. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. That doesn't mean you don't read your Bible, you're going to physically die. Because there's a lot of people that don't. But spiritually, you're going to be a pretty weak Christian if you're not spending time eating spiritually. Right? You know, and a question I like to ask people, if you, if you ate physically as much as you ate spiritually, how strong would you be physically? For some Christians, if all they ever did was eat Sunday morning, they'd, they'd be kind of rough on them. But yet for some Christians, that's, that's all they do spiritually. That's why it's important to be daily. Because it's our strength. It's what helps us move forward for God and be what he wants us to be. This book isn't like any other book. It's supernatural. It's a sword. It's real. It's God's word to us. And we need it, Christian. Galatians 5.16, the Bible says, Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Hey, that walking in the Spirit, once again, I believe, is walking with Jesus Christ, spending time with Him, having a relationship with Him. doesn't mean you read your Bible 24-7 and pray 24-7 and you never leave the doors of this church. But you're close with God. And then what happens? You don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. You don't fall to the snares of the devil. And so I'm just trying to get across this morning that it's important for you to spend time with the king. To have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. How real is God to you today? Is he just something that the preacher talks about and says about? Or is he real to you? Right? You have a relationship. You know his heart. He speaks to you. You speak to him. You fellowship with him. Because that's what he wants. And you know what? The devil knows how important it is for you to spend time with God. I think more than many of us, he knows how important it is. 
And you know what he wants to do? He wants to stop it. He wants to do everything in his power to stop you from reading your Bible, to stop you from praying, to stop you from coming to church. Because he knows if you do, guess what? That's spending time with the king. And so, man, it's time to read the Bible. And all of a sudden, you know, you're thinking, well, man, did I check my social media? Or, man, that show's coming on that I want to watch. Or what happened with my sports team? Or or you're trying to read and all of a sudden you're thinking like, you know, what if the world was inhabited by like squirrel people? Would they have a McDonald's and have squirrel? Like this weird random stuff. And I know, but I don't think I'm the only one, right? You're reading your Bible and all of a sudden your mind's like, what am I thinking of right now? Or you kneel down to pray and you're like trying not to fall asleep and you have your list or whatever. People are praying for us and you're like, you know, you're kneeling at your chair and you're like, and Lord bless this food in my body. And you're like, wait a minute, I'm not praying for food right now. I'm trying to pray. Why? Because the devil's trying to stop us from focusing on what we're doing. Right? It's time for church. And, you know, the kids are just a handful and your vehicle's not working right or you don't feel the best when you wake up or you just feel really tired. And the devil is trying to give you a million excuses of why not to come. Because he knows how important it is for you to spend time with the king. Because once again, you stop spending time with the king, well, your love's going to wane for the king. Right? You forget how good the king is. You forget how much he's helped you. Right? If Absalom could make these people forget about the great king that David was and his heart for them and what he... Well, then, man, it's going to be a lot easier for me to replace their love. And it's the same exact thing for Christians. How much time have you spent with the king because the devil wants to stop you from getting to the king? And so how Absalom stole their hearts, number one, he impressed them. Number two, he stopped them from getting to the king. And then lastly this morning, he convinced them that the king didn't care. He convinced them that the king didn't care. In verse number three of Second Samuel 15, it says, And Absalom said unto him, See, thy matters are good and right, but there is no man deputed of the king to hear thee. Absalom said, moreover, oh, that I were made judge in the land, that every man which hath any suit or cause might come to me, and I would do him justice. Right? And think about it. These were people that had needs. Like, this was like their life. This was like important to them that they came all this way to talk with the king. And now, I mean, I traveled all this way. I have this thing that's really important to me that's like my life. And now I'm being told that the king's too busy and he can't talk to me. And Absalom's saying, man, if I, I would care for you. Right? Like, I would be here for you. I would, I would listen to what you, but the king doesn't. The king doesn't care. He's too busy. You just go away. And you know, in 1st John 4.19, the Bible says that we love him speaking of God because he first loved us. And the reason that any of us have a true love for God is because we see how much he has loved us. And you know what? Understanding God's love I believe strengthens our love for him. If you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Bible says this, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse number 14, the Bible says this, for the love of Christ constraineth us. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. You know it says there? The love of God constrains us. That doesn't mean he forces us. It doesn't mean we have to. It doesn't mean we're like, you know, go. What I believe that verse is saying is if we fully comprehend the love that God has for us, and we fully understand what he did for us in giving his son to die on the cross for our sins and just the way he loves it. It constrains us. Meaning we can't but help want to live for him and serve him and have him as our king because we understand how much he loves and cares for us. That once again, it's not that we do all these things because we have to, because we're forced to, because, you know, this is just what we do as Christians. But it's, Man, God really loves me. And God cares for me more than anyone else has ever or will ever care for me. And if he really loves me that much, why wouldn't I want to serve him? Why wouldn't I want to live for him? Why wouldn't I want to do the things that please him? But you know what? The devil will do everything he can to get you to doubt God's love. He does it 
really good job of it. Right? There's situations coming to our life, health issues, relationship issues, financial issues, or praying for something and it hasn't turned out the way that we hope and we pray for it. And the devil does a real good job of coming along and being like, see, God doesn't care. I mean, if God really cared for you, would he let that happen in your life? If God cared for you, would he really not answer your prayer in the way he wants you to, you know, in the way you want it to be answered? Hey, if I can just, uh, I'm not trying to be insensitive, but things going on with your pastor, I would not by any stretch of the imagination think it's a freach to say, maybe God's come to some of you and been like, if God really cared for you guys, do you think your pastor will be going through what he's going through? Because that's what he does. Because he wants to say, just don't care. God, God doesn't care. Right? Why worry? Why, why do all this stuff? Why live for him? Why be faithful? Because if God really cared for you, why would he let these things happen? Or not do what you want him to do? And I believe God has a plan for everything he does. The Bible says, as for God, his way is perfect. And we need to trust in that. But you know what? When we don't feel like we are loved, it can turn to bitterness. It can turn to anger. It can turn to coldness. And once again, you, you think of that, these Israelites, that, I mean, they were trying to serve the king. I mean, they were good subjects. They were doing all this stuff. And then something serious happened in their life. Once again, if they traveled all that way to come talk to the king, like it must have been something pretty big and pretty serious to them. And they go all that way. I mean, they've been good subjects. They, and now all of a sudden the king's, you know, they're being told the king doesn't care for you pretty much. The king's too busy. You're not important to him. But don't you think that went a long way then whenever that trumpet sounded and they had to decide who to serve? All of a sudden they're thinking, well, Absalom said he'd care for me. And this king that supposedly, lo- I mean, he wasn't there when I needed him. In our life, that happens to us. And then it finds that thing that we struggle with, that we're praying for, that we're, he says, God doesn't really care. And we start to believe it. We start to think that's the case. How, I mean, I've been faithful. Right? I mean, I've lived for God, and why is he letting this happen? I mean, I, I, I've tried to do what's right. Why is he letting this happen? I mean, we've been faithful to church, and we're trying to give, and we're trying to support the church and our pastor. Why is this happening? And it's very, very easy to just kind of be like, I'm sick of this. I'm done. And I'm saying that from, I'm just trying to be real this morning, if that's okay. I'm, I'm trying to say I've been there in my life. Where it's very easy to be like, man, God just really must not care about me. And it's hard. But Christian, God does care for you and he does love you. And I'll leave you with a couple of verses of scriptures and we'll be done tonight. Go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 35. The Bible says this, Romans eight thirty five. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sleep for the sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We could have a piano player come and just maybe start playing some. You know, there's a lot of bad stuff in that. Right? When he's, when he's going through these verses, he says tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or na- para- Like, that's bad stuff. That's real stuff. That's just just like, oh, I stubbed my toe. Does God really love me anymore? This is like in your life, something very serious. And it's like, this is really hard to go through. And it's these things you go and you're like, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. And I don't see an end. And I don't see a fix. And I don't see something. But you know what it says? That nothing shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Principalities, powers, creatures. Nothing. There's some, I mean, angels, life, death, principal powers, things having things to come, height, death, any other, that's, that's a lot of big stuff. But God still loves you. 
and Christ still loves you. And God does care, and God does know. And once again, the Bible says that as for God, his way is perfect. And a couple of verses later it says, and he maketh my way perfect. And so sometimes you have to have faith. And sometimes you have to have trust because you really are in that spot and you're like, I, I see no way out of this. But I've seen in my life, and hey, right now I'm going through some things where I'm kind of in that spot where it's like, okay, God, what's going to happen here? Because I really don't know. But he's been faithful to me. David said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. And if you're faithful to God, God's going to be faithful to you. So don't believe the devil's lie that the king doesn't care, because he does. But the question is this morning, is who has your heart? Hopefully, hopefully tonight, I mean, this morning, I mean, like, we know the king's great, we serve the king, we, and he has our heart. And we love him, and he's what's most important to us. But maybe this morning, there's some of us here who would say, in all honesty, Absalom's gotten a little bit of my heart. Whether it's been because he's put some things in front of my way, and I've said, man, pay attention to this, and look how impressive this is, and how great it is, and my heart's gone after some other things other than the Lord. Maybe it's because, man, he stopped me from getting to the king. And I haven't been reading my Bible. I haven't been praying. I really haven't been faithful to church like I should. And I can tell it's affected my walk with God because I don't feel as close to the Lord as I once did. And maybe tonight or this morning, it's just simply because he's made me think that the king doesn't care. And, man, I've gotten to a point where I maybe felt like God hasn't loved me. Maybe my attitude, I've got to make a little bit better or angry with God because I feel like he really just doesn't care. But he does care. And so with heads bowed and eyes closed, the altar's open this morning if you need to use it or you can do business with the Lord in your seat. But understand, Absalom wants your heart. And who has your heart this morning? Because this, the trumpet is going to sound one day. And Absalom's going to say, hey, I reign, who are you going to serve? And if Absalom has your heart instead of the Lord, you're going to follow him. Who has your heart? As the piano plays, you do business with the Lord as you see fit this morning. Father, Lord, thank you, God, for this morning. Thank you for this opportunity to be here at church. And thank you, Lord, once again for your word and just for, Lord, the, the exhortation and 
Lord, sometimes correction and reproof and the different things that, that we can take from it, Lord. And, and God, I pray this was a blessing for these people this morning. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for their faithfulness, Lord. I know it hasn't been easy on them. But God, for all of us, Lord, help us to guard our hearts and to give you our hearts, Father. Because, Lord, it doesn't matter where we're at in our life. Lord, many of those Israelites uh, were, were, were close to David. Uh, Ahithophel is counselor, Lord, and, and they still turned on David. And so, Lord, let us never get to the point where we think we're above falling or we're above having our hearts stolen. But God, help us to just draw closer to you, to love you more and more each day, to spend time with you, Father. And, Lord, today we be reminded of how much you do love us. So, Father, I once again just pray that, that your work and your will would be accomplished through the message, that no flesh would be glorified in it, but that Jesus Christ would be lifted up and exalted. I pray it was a blessing and a help to these dear people. And, uh, Father, I pray encourage to help them and bless them and continue to provide for their needs. Lord, even in supernatural ways, just show them, God, that you do care. And, Lord, you're still faithful to, to God's Word Baptist Church. And that, Lord, you bless their pastor and help the steward to get feeling better and heal him up. And, uh, Lord, just be with this whole situation. But we love you, God. Thank you for being so good to us. Please dismiss us with your blessing and uh, give us a good rest of this day. Bring us back tonight for this evening service that you'd bless that and use that and help me, Lord, as I, I do that tonight. We love you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being here this morning. I will be back tonight. So hopefully this morning I didn't scare you off or anything like that. But uh, thank you for being here. You are all dismissed. Have a great day.